Hey guys, thanks for checking out today's message. We're so glad that you joined us. We consider resources like this one to be supplemental. So if you do not have a church home and live in the greater Savannah area, we would love to invite you to one of our locations. If you're blessed by today's message and would like to invest into the life and ministry of City Church, you can do so by visiting citychurch.life and clicking give. Our hope is that you'll be blessed and encouraged as we dive into today's message. Today we're going to wrap up our series, Loneliness, Lust, Love, and Taxes. And so uh, I know uh, that this idea of taxes being tagged into this has been kind of this like curiosity for people. Uh, how does that fit? So uh, week one, we talked about uh, the importance of learning how to uh, be alone and be alone well. Like you as an individual, you need to be able to be a strong individual. You need to find contentment in being able to be just you and God, right? And then we dove into the idea of lust. And the question is, what are you turning your affection towards? Uh, the world around us is creating plenty of opportunities for lust to be uh, between an individual and a sexual fantasy, but God wants to give us uh uh, a relationship with him that our affection is turned towards him and then ultimately in the idea of love stepping into marriage where we are a strong unique uh, whole individual who steps into marriage with another whole individual and that the idea of one and one equals one is not a half and a half equaling one it's not normal math and so we can't sit here and think that way, like the, there's broken pieces of me and there's broken pieces of, of, of her. And so together we'll make one. That's not how this works. Uh, when we see the picture of, uh, of Jesus, fully God, fully man. It wasn't like he was partially God and partially man, and that's how he became Jesus. There's an entirety uh, in his identity as he stepped in to be Jesus, and so it's really important for us. And so today, uh, I, I want to talk about being resourced for taxes. Uh, uh, you ever heard the saying, you don't know what you don't know? I, I used to hear this when I was younger, and it just didn't make any sense. Um, and, and here's the really, here's the really difficult thing for, for me, uh, and for you is if this doesn't make sense to you right now, I can't make it make sense until you experience something that fills in the gaps of this statement. You're, you're, it's just, it's a struggle, but there will be a point in your life. And I, I, I hope and believe that some of you have already, uh, walked through that where all of a sudden you're going, Oh, okay. I totally get that. There are just things that you just don't know that you don't know. You just, you can't get your head around them. And this is, you know, just stepping into a little parenting role for a moment. This is one of the really difficult things about parenting is trying to help my kids get to a place where they see things that they just don't naturally see. And, and, and we can spend a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to, to uh, communicate truth and trying to reveal truth, but there are some truths that just, they just need to be walked into, right? They need to be experienced. Uh, and, and so uh, you just, you don't know what you don't know. Now, uh, if you look at marriage and you look at the divorce rates within our nation, uh, there's really a lot of consistencies between divorce rates within the church and divorce rates with, outside of the church. And, and that is that the number one reason for divorce is infidelity, unfaithfulness. Uh, the number two reason is finances. 
the mismanagement of resources. And, and here's what I would like to argue for you today uh, is that uh, infidelity, unfaithfulness, and mismanagement of money are both mismanagement of resources. They both are about uh, mismanaging opportunities and resources that we actually have. Uh, and so uh, what happens is, is that we do not do a good job naturally or let me just say accidentally at managing our resources. It, it, it takes something intentional, right? It, it takes us taking time and creating processes in order for it to happen. So the question I wanna ask is, is it possible that resources have a direct connection to perspective, right? So, so do relationships fall apart? Do uh, circumstances in our lives come to a head and end up being really difficult because, because um, we are short on resources? Or are, we, or, or are our resources directly connected and tied to our perspective? I think that if we can get a picture of perspective and how to, if we can learn how to control perspective in our lives, we can identify resources uh, that we can identify resources we weren't aware we had or ways to use the resources that we do have. So here are two common perspectives. And I think that these perspectives are, are, are broken perspectives. The first one is that I don't have enough, right? So this perspective that, you know, I'm in a situation that I'm in right now because I just don't have enough resources. So we can apply this to marriage. We can apply this to uh, uh, relationships with our children. We can apply this to uh, finances in the home, our workplace. There are a lot of places that, that we can come into a scenario where we go, I just don't have enough. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 4, and I was just going to uh, uh, kind of summarize this, but I've decided I want to actually read the text to you. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can uh, read along 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I don't have it for the screen, and that's okay. Uh, story here of Elisha uh, and the widow in verse 1. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So this is a pretty dire situation. I, hopefully we could all agree without much argument that this is more dire than any situation that we would face uh, in the United States because we have a government that has established a number of, uh, of laws that would prevent this from being a scenario, right? So it says that, um, that the creditor is coming to take my children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, and I want you to, to listen to this. Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. So there, she is aware of the fact that she has this resource, but she sees that as insufficient, not enough. And so she says, this, it's, it's, it's over. They're coming to take my children to be slaves. And Elisha responds in verse three, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few, meaning you're gonna need a lot of these. 
then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons, behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels and when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, Elisha, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. I want you to, to, to hear what happened here is that she was in a position where taxes were due, a payment, it was time to pay a debt, right? And, and she looked at what she had and whether she got to the place where this was all she had through mismanagement of her resources or just from being in a position of poverty, okay? So, so however she got here, the, the scripture doesn't address. What the scripture does is the scripture takes the limited amount of resources that she does have and creates enough, right? We see the exact same thing happen uh, with Jesus and the disciples uh, in yeah, Luke chapter nine. Uh, uh, Jesus comes and there's a multitude of people. Uh, it says 5,000 men. So uh, women and children would have increased that number significantly. And they have five loaves of bread, two uh, uh, fish to, to eat among them. And the question is like, how are we gonna feed all of these people, right? They're not gonna be able to get online and order Uber Eats. They're gonna have to figure out something else. And Jesus takes the resources that they have and creates enough. So, so here, here's where I wanna go with this, okay? This is what's really significant, is that you might walk into a season in life where things are, seem really difficult, where your resources seem like they're really low. If God has a purpose and destiny for you, he is not going to allow you to miss your destiny right? To not step into the fullness of who you were created to be because of a limited amount of resources. If you don't step into your destiny, it's because you don't step into your destiny. God will use whatever's there, but you've got to be willing to pick it up and use it. And what happens is because we have broken perspectives, because we are so super guilty right, of meshing culture and the word of God into our hearts, right? We take the practical uh, nature of culture around us and we measure our resources against what we see others who are achieving things having. And we go, well, I don't have enough, so I can't step into it. And we don't trust in the word of God. And so we end up in this place where it's like, God, I know I have a destiny, but I don't have enough. And so we are the ones who give up. And the widow comes and she says, listen, I need help. God, you've got to move. Uh, man of God, Elisha, please, you, you, you know that, that they're coming to take my children to be slaves. And Elisha just has a perspective that is different, right? And he makes use of what she has, right? She's aware of the fact that she has limited resources. Elisha says, your limited resources are more than enough. The disciples come and they're aware of their limited resources. Jesus says, your resources are more than enough. 
And so a broken perspective for many is that they don't have enough, but, but another perspective altogether that's broken is I don't see how. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how this is going to work. Sometimes in our lives, we end up to where it, we don't even think about our limited resources. The enemy has come so strong against us, right? He's reared his head and the attack is on and we just see imminent defeat in front of us. And, and, and there are many examples of this in, in scripture, all right? Uh, I wanna take a look here with Elisha again in 2 Kings chapter 13. So look here in verse 14. Now, uh, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, so uh, this is at the end of Elisha's life, just a little bit of perspective, okay? This is not young Elisha running around, calling out miracles and, and, and just at the height of his game. This is a man laying in bed, ready to die, okay? Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Now, this is what's going on. The Arameans are coming to attack. This is why Joash turns to the man of God. Elisha's on his deathbed, the enemy is coming. It seems hopeless. He needs to hear from God because God's the only one that can give instruction on how to get out of this situation. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. I, I want you to understand something here. Elisha lying in bed, dying, says to the king, take a bow and arrow. And what we do not see is Joash saying, hold on, give me a few minutes. I've got to go and locate one, right? The scripture doesn't tell us that, that, that he had to leave and go out and find some guard who had a bow and an arrow. No, he was able to pick up a bow and arrow. So, so there was a bow and arrow that was present, right? It was a resource that was available to him that he was able to pick up and so he picks up the bow and the arrow in obedience from the word that was coming from the Lord, right? Through Elisha. And then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And so he takes out this arrow. He pulls it into the bow. He pulls things back, right? He's getting ready to, to, he's taking the stance. The, this, this, is the, this is the stance to, to take a shot. And Elisha's got his hands there on him. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians and Aphek until you have made an end of them. And this is the word that he wanted to hear, right? Elisha was coming, I mean, uh, uh, Joash was coming to Elisha because he wanted a word from God of victory. It's convenient in the moment when we're desperate to come to God and pray and to come to God and say, God, I need you. It's overwhelming. I see no way out. I see no way for victory. 
And, 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 and here's what's beautiful is that you would think that Elisha would go, hey, bro, you should have shown up before things got this bad, uh, but you haven't been praying, you haven't been seeking the Lord, so I don't have time for you, go away, I'm dying. That's not what happens. Elisha takes time with him, right? And he begins to give him some insight. This is going somewhere that I think is significant for us. And it's been significant for me all week long while I've been preparing this, honestly, all month. But this week, I've just been just like marinating in this and thinking about the church and thinking about what God's calling us to be, right, in this community and in this neighborhood and getting into these moments or these seasons where things are really difficult. I don't know if you go through them, but I go through them. I go through them in my home. I go through them here. My workplace as a pastor, I walk through difficult seasons where I feel like the enemy is just, he's taking ground that I don't want him to take ground and I'm going to the Lord and I don't want to be guilty of being like Joash. But even so, in the midst of desperation, I too go to the Lord. And he says, this is, this is, uh, you shall fight the Syrians and Aphek until you have made an end of them. Verse 18. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the King of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped, right? Three times he struck the ground and stopped. And in verse 19, then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. Now, I'll admit that reading this initially seems a little bit confusing, right? You go to the Lord and you say, God, give me some direction. And Elisha says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick up this bow and arrow. I want you to fire an arrow. This arrow is symbolic of the victory that's coming. And then he says, now I want you to strike the ground with these. And so he pulls out an arrow and he strikes the ground, right? And he does this three times and then he stops and he looks back over. And, and it's, it's almost like a, a really sick game of, uh, of Simon says, or red light, green light, right? It's, it's like he stops and looks at him and says, did I do it enough? And he says, I never told you to stop. Simon didn't say stop. And because you stopped, now there's gonna be consequences. Now, now here's, here's the picture that I get looking at this is that, is that there were still ammo to be fired, and the question is, is what type of person are you going to be when the enemy is attacking? Are you gonna empty every round in the magazine or are you going to stop because you've become overwhelmed? And are you only gonna fire the rounds in the magazine? Are you only gonna pull the arrows out of the quiver and fight when you feel like the enemy is going to overtake you? Or will you be a warrior that is pressing forward at all times? And you go, well, you know, I just, I wanna be a lover, not a fighter. And, and, and I, I got that. Like in a physical sense, you can be a lover, right? You can love the people around you. But there is some really great, pictures that we get in scripture, right? Paul says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities. Like what's happening in the spiritual realm is not just this like, you know, uh, hippy dippy love fest that's going on, right? Uh, Satan's not going to rear his head uh, in your life and you're not going to go, oh brother, 
come here and give me a hug. And that he's gonna melt away and be like, I've seen the light, thank you so much. If it weren't for your kindness, right? That's not the picture that we get. Now, now the children of God, that's, that's what we do. We love them into the kingdom of heaven, but we defeat the enemy into submission, right? We defeat the enemy into submission. And so what type of individual will you be, right? Because the scripture says that the kingdom of heaven is what? Forcefully advanced, right? That forceful men, women, they lay hold and they advance the kingdom of heaven. And so we come into a season of difficulty, right? Where things seem like they just aren't going the way that we want them to. And the truth is, we put as minimal effort sometimes as we have to into trying to get over it. Now, now I'll tell you, like, I'm guilty of this, right? Maybe you're not like this. Maybe you are way more disciplined than I am. But in my own life, when finances get tight, I am the world's best budgeter, right? I can budget like nobody's business. I can run the spreadsheets and I can do the envelope system. But when it, things aren't tight, right? I don't necessarily budget the way I do when things are tight. Anybody, don't have to raise your hands, but anybody guilty of that, right? Anybody, when, th when you don't have a major payment due, you might go, you know what, we can go out to eat, it's all right, you know, right? I can be guilty of that as an individual. And what happens is, is that we tend to lead our spiritual lives the same way. We tend to lead our marriages the same way. We tend to get really serious and practical when things are really difficult, but when things aren't really difficult, we just tend to go with the flow. And now more than ever, right, with, with the access to, to digital things, like, like we, we just look and see what the account balance is, right? Oh, there's money in the account. We're good to go. We don't get practical. I was asking somebody uh, recently uh, about the difference between the balance that the bank account says and, and the balance that is in their ledger. And they said, what's a ledger? And I was like, you know, like a check registry. And they were like, what's a check registry? And I was like, oh my gosh, like I am aging, right? And so w when I turned 16, it was like, the, the cool thing was to get a checkbook and I had a really cool checkbook holder. It was leather and uh, uh, I would wear that sticking out of my back pocket, you know, and it was like, he's got a checkbook, you know, and it was like, he's big stuff. There was no money in the account. Nobody ever knew that. You just had a checkbook. And, uh, but there was an area where when you wrote a check, you wrote out how much that check was and then you deducted it from how much money should be in the bank account so that while that check was working its way through the system, you didn't write another check that would not clear the bank account. And when things are really tight, that's how we measure things. We go to God and say, God, things are super tight right now. It seems like there's no way I'm gonna make it out of, the, out of here. What do I do? We're looking for the path, right? And the, and the path doesn't change, it's consistent. In verse 20, so Elisha died and they buried him. Now, bands of Moabites used to invade the land the spring, uh, the spring of the year. So Elisha now is gone. He's, he's out of the picture and Joash no longer has access to him. 
And Joash, not being a, a real man of God, somebody who has a relationship with God, finds himself in a really bad place. In fact, so much so that he's going to experience defeat. Michael Jordan once said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to watch Michael Jordan, the basketball player, not the uh, actor, Creed and Black Panther, different Michael Jordans. Uh, both are adequately stars in my book, but this Michael Jordan right here was unbelievable. I don't sports much, but when somebody like him is playing, I want to watch. Michael Jordan had this way of having the ball and everybody was coming after him. And it was like he was that, you know, Alaska man. He could just like weave through and it's like jumping through. It was just crazy to watch the man. And, and they would foul Michael Jordan on purpose because it was better to foul him than to let the ball get in the air because he, he, might, he might have missed more than 9,000 shots, but the man made the basket more often than not. And the reality of the situation is that Michael Jordan says, I would never have found success if I wasn't constantly taking the shot. If I didn't constantly position myself in such a way as to be an individual that takes the shot. So if you don't take the shot, you won't hit the target. And you come into these scenarios where your perspective is, man, things are really difficult. There's no way out. There's no way that this is going to happen. And there's arrows sitting in the quiver that are at your feet that you could pick up and you could take a shot with. But instead, what we do is we give up. And our first inclination is to begin to talk about how there's no way out. There's no way that we're going to make it. You see, you can feel sorry for yourself, hide in your worry, sulk in the situation, or wield the weapons that remain. Will you be the type of person that will pick up the weapon and fight till the end, or will the weapon be at your feet when they find you overrun by the enemy? Too many times we're sitting here praying, God, I need this, I need this. God, I need you to move, I need you to bring this. And God's going, why don't you use what I've already given you? Why don't you use what you've already got? Why aren't you using the resources I've already put at your feet? And so maybe you're aware of the little bit of resources that you have, or maybe you are just consumed by the enemy that's coming, but you're in a place where taxes are due, you feel overwhelmed, and you don't know how to make it, and God says, I'm faithful, I'm the one that's going to be there for you, right, when taxes come due. And whether it's the enemy or the government, or the enemy, there will just be seasons in your life where whether it's out of responsibility or unfortunate circumstance that things will be difficult. 
And it might not always be tied to finances. It might be tied to relationships. But let me tell you something. God is faithful in the midst of that. I want to read another scripture to you that I did not uh, put into my notes, but I was reading it this morning. And uh, it's one that I've read so many times in my life. And it just struck me really odd uh, this morning reading it. Matthew chapter six, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his uh, span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And this is it right here. O you of little faith. Can I tell you, there is a direct correlation, a connection between the resources that you need to overcome the circumstance you're in and the amount of faith that you walk in. Who do you believe God is? Who do you believe that you are in God's eyes? Are you a child of God? Are you fearfully and wonderfully made? Are you in the circumstance that you're in right now because of your own doing? Maybe, maybe not, but that doesn't change God's faithfulness to you. Sometimes God will put you into or allow you to be in a situation that's difficult to bring you to the place of repentance where you once again identify that you have a destiny and a calling so that you can step back into your destiny and calling. And sometimes along the way, it just is difficult because God's trying to teach you how to use what you've got because circumstances that might come in the future are gonna require that. We love to use little little sayings like, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. But we don't wanna think in terms of sayings like that when it applies to our lives. And yet God is faithful enough to to treat us just like that, to teach us how to use the resources that are around us. So when situations let you down, when coworkers let you down, when people let you down, when believers let you down, God is faithful. Let me tell you why this is just such a beautiful message to me. I can't tell you how many people over the course of eight years as a church there have been that have walked through these doors and have come to us and sat in front of Carmen and I and have said, we believe that there's something special happening here. They have said, we see God at work. Not that God's not at work in other churches in this city, but God is doing something special right here. There have been so many people. Some of them are sitting, some of you are sitting in here today. But can I tell you that some of them 
were able to identify that, but when taxes came due, when a difficult season stepped in, they jumped ship. Can I tell you, God can absolutely be at work getting ready to do something that's amazing and incredible and be doing it in the midst of difficulty. It wouldn't be breakthrough if there wasn't something to break through. It wouldn't be a testimony if there wasn't something to testify. And I can tell you that just because somebody shows up in your life and says, man, I'm telling you, God's at work. God is doing something in your life. And then somewhere along the line, they jump ship. That doesn't mean that what they said wasn't true, right? It just means that their perspective was incomplete because they didn't see the resources and the ammo that were available. And instead of being there to the last shot, being there to the last bit of oil was poured until the last piece of fish was given, they made a transition and praise God, so be it, because I trust that God knows what he's doing. He stirs the hearts of men and women to be in different places. And so I won't weep and cry when people step into my life and then step out and, and, and there's that sense of her. I will say, God, I trust in you because the first word that I got came from you and everybody else, all they've done is reaffirmed what I believe is my destiny, what you've called me into, what you've set forth for me. And the love and the passion that you might feel have felt one day in your marriage or at your job or with your children, whatever the relationship is, wherever that connection was at, like, like, like that word from God, that moment when you knew that God was in it, God hasn't ever stepped out of it. You've just taken your eyes off of the resources that are available to make it great, to get to the place that God called you to be in. Look here in Philippians chapter four, as we close, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so we see Paul writing to the church in Philippi here, and he's, he begins this, this, this conversation by, by, by talking about, can I just tell you, when people, when people step up and say, hey, I've got you on my mind. Hey, I see God at work. Hey, my heart, right now I'm stirred for you. Like that creates rejoicing in an individual, right? When somebody walks through the doors of the church and they go, man, there's something special here. Like that builds you up, right? We need to hear those moments, right? But listen to what Paul says on the other side of this, right? He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We love this verse as Christians. We love this verse. You know what this verse says? This verse says that when the enemy is coming and my perspective says I have too little or there's no way, I have the faith connected to the moment to stand strong and say, my God will supply all of my riches according to him. 
all of my needs according to his riches. Sore throat. God is faithful. You need to believe that. And that needs to excite you. And instead of being like Joash, who comes in apprehensive, you need to be the type of man or woman who says, God, it's time for some repentance in my life. I want to make things right. Now, God, show me what to do because I know that you've called me to more than this. I know that you didn't create me to die in the mud. You didn't create me to be overcome by taxes. You didn't create me to be given over to the circumstance, but instead I am a child of God called to rule the circumstances. In any situation, in any relationship, God is faithful. God will meet the need. See, Elisha was looking at the exact same scenario that Joash was. But Elisha's perspective was different. Elisha was looking at the same scenario as that widow with her little bit of oil. And Elisha said, that's all it takes. Oh, you only have a little? That's enough to conquer the world. That's enough to pay your debts. Let's manage this properly and watch what God does. Joash comes in and says, the armies are coming to defeat us. And Elisha says, all it takes is a single arrow. All it takes is a single arrow. If you'll be willing to be the one that will keep firing, it'll take one arrow. It'll be that last arrow that'll make the difference. You just got to keep firing those arrows. And the woman, she just keeps pouring and keeps pouring and keeps pouring until there's nowhere to pour. And Elisha says, hey, it's not just enough to pay your, your, your debts. You and your children are going to get to live off of this because God supplies. And the king, being used to doing as little as he has to, strikes the ground three times. And Elisha says, why'd you stop? You had to keep going. You had to keep using those resources. So there are plenty of tools, talents, and resources I do not have. I am very aware of this. I am very aware of the shortcomings that are in my life. I will not allow that to prevent me from showing up on the battlefield. I will not allow that to prevent me from stepping into that place that God has called me to. The dreams that he's giving me, given me, the words that he's given me, people can jump ship, people can run the other direction, the enemy can come running at me, and I am not gonna sit here and talk about what I don't have. I'm gonna pull out what I do have and I'm gonna use it until I don't have breath in my lungs. I think this way, when I think about an enemy breaking into my house in the middle of the night, I'm not just gonna lay there paralyzed and go, oh well, I guess they got my family. Does anybody else feel like that? Do you ever think like if the enemy were to show up today and try to take my kids, try to take my spouse, that you would just lay down and let them? Or would you stand up and fight? 
until you had no breath left in your lungs. There's an enemy that seeks to destroy you and what he wants is for you not to fight because he knows this. The only chance he has at victory is when you give up. Because as long as there's breath in your lungs, he has no chance. I intend to use every arrow in the quiver. What about you? What about you? Let's stand to our feet today. I want you to know this. God has a unique plan for you. We can talk about marriage and relationships, but none of it matters until you know who you are in the eyes of Christ. Your relationship with God matters. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your consistency in our lives. God, you are good. You are worthy. We love you and praise you. Give us the audacity and the fight from deep inside to fire every arrow until there's no breath left in our lungs. This world needs you. Use us. In your mighty name.